Again, Psalm 27, Pastor Jeff did finish the book of Ezekiel last week, and next week, next Wednesday, he will be starting the Minor Prophets, so that'll be a blessing as you, he starts going through that, and also he will be here on Sunday, he will continue his verse-by-verse study in the Gospel of Matthew, that has been a blessing for all of us. And so invite somebody out to that service, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. And uh, it's always good to bring somebody into the house of the Lord. But like I said, for tonight, you have me, and we are going to be in the Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 27. And so hopefully you're settled in, and... Um, And I'm going to get settled in here, and we're going to read the first three verses of this psalm. It says, A psalm of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, foes, they stumbled and fell, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may arise against me, in this I will be confident. And Lord, we do come to you. We come as a needy people, Lord, living in a dark world. And Lord, there are times of troubles in our lives. But also, Lord, in any situation that we get, that we always want to be ones that are near you that are seeking you, that we want to know more about your beauty and behold you. And Father, as we look at this psalm tonight, I just pray that if there's anything that would keep us from your spirit to speak to us through it and to see what it is you have for us, that we would be able to put those aside just for a little bit. And Lord, there is beauty in you. And Lord, you do care about our lives. Every Every part of it. So we come to you, we do, this evening as a needy people. And Lord, we want to hear from you. And we know that you are faithful into teaching us. So bless this teaching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 27, it is a psalm of David. And what David is doing, he's given a plead from a position of a troubled background. And as we start to go through it, we've already seen that as I've read the first couple of verses here, that we hear about enemies and we hear about being deceived and those who are slandering and violent men. And we hear about that all throughout the psalm. And so, but also what makes this psalm one of my favorite psalms is that we see that David comes to the Lord in a very personal way, and he comes to the Lord through relationship. Now, a little bit of background about this uh, psalm. Some commentaries and scholars will tell you that David wrote this before he was anointed king in Hebron. And, and then several, several years later, he would be anointed king in Jerusalem. So if you read scriptures, you see that David reigned over Jerusalem for 40 years, seven years in Hebron, and 33 years in Jerusalem. So if it was written at that time, it would have been a time where he was fleeing from Saul. So that would have put him, you know, at a young man, you know, probably in his 20s. 
And some say that David penned this later in his life. In 2 Samuel 21, we read that David was at war with the Philistines, and David fought, and he fought hard, but he grew tired. So a giant came down and was about to do him in, and then one of his men would have to come and rescue him. And then from that time on, his men wouldn't let him battle. And they would say, at least the light of Israel be quenched so that at that point in his life, if this is when he penned this, he would have been close to 70. So it's very hard to say, you know, with confidence, which period in his life that this all comes from. There is a marked change between the first half and the second half of the psalm. So there are many that suggest that it's two different psalms stitched together. Either way, we see there's difficulties in his life at play here. And David often wrote his psalms, and he wrote a lot. And he would write them as he is going through a lot in his life. And whether he was older or whether he was younger, that we see that, you know, this is a psalm that is for us. It's also, you know, as I was saying before, it's also a psalm a song of confidence and triumph and of richness in God that we see and it's revealed to the one who seeks him. And so it's a powerful psalm for us and it speaks to us this evening. And this message is for, uh, again, for all of us. So let's begin to look at it. Psalm uh, 27, verse 1. Again, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So David here says, the Lord is my light. He doesn't say, the Lord gives me light in this verse. He says, the Lord himself is my light. The Lord himself is my salvation. He says, the Lord is the strength of my life, not that he gives me strength. You could read that in the Hebrew. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be terrified of? And I want to point this out because we do know that the Lord does give us light, right? He gives us light. In John's gospel, in that in chapter 1, that incredible gospel, it says of John the Baptist, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was now, he was not, he was now that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So he wasn't that light, but he came to bear witness of that light. The light. Now, does the Lord give us salvation? Of course he does. That familiar verse in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, least anybody should boast. And he does give us strength, doesn't he? Another familiar verse, Philippians 4.13, when Paul was talking about his ministry, he would say that I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I know I'm kind of parking on this a little bit, but look at what David is saying here. He's saying, the Lord is to me in my life light, salvation, and he's my stronghold. 
And this is the first time in the Bible that we see the metaphor of light, which is directly applied to the Lord. There are verses that speak of him in relationship to light. The Lord said, let there be light. But here is the first time in the Bible where it proclaims the Lord is light. The first time light is described in metaphor to his very nature. And Jesus would say that he was the light. We saw when we read that in John 1, um, that he was light, that he came to give light. So, you know, he says, the Lord here, he's my light. He's my salvation, my stronghold. And the reason I point this out, because it's all very personal. It speaks of an intimate relationship David is seeking from God. This isn't, look, this is the position of Israel, or this is the position of the Jews. You know, he's saying, he's my light. This is, the, this is a man who has gone through a lot. You know, he went through a lot of things. He was in a lot of big trouble. Some of it was caused by his own sin. But whether he was young or old, David says in the midst of this heavy stuff, the Lord is my light. And in the days that we live in, how often do we need light? When it seems that things are getting darker and darker. And there are just times where we need direction. There are times when we just need to see something. When the darkest days come to us, we need to be lifted out of it. When we need to get our heads above the clouds. And just like David, you and I, we can say, Lord... You are my light. And if I can just find you today, if I can get a glimpse of you through your word as I read the Bible in my devotions, if I can feel more your presence through prayer, through worshiping you today, in the midst of the darkness, I can have light because you are my light. The Lord himself is my salvation, David says. Do any of us deserve to be saved? No. Am I worthy of it? No. Is there anything in me that would cause salvation or earn salvation? Of course not. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord himself, his name is Mashiach. The Lord has become our salvation. And then he says, I don't need to be afraid of anybody. If the Lord is my light, If the Lord is my salvation, then he says, the Lord is the strength of my life. So whom shall I be afraid of? And David, as you read about David's life in Scripture, you see he had strongholds in his life. When you see that whenever he was running from Saul or Absalom later in his life, that he would go down to the Dead Sea area, he had strongholds in the wilderness, in the caves of En Gedi, down there, those were strongholds that he, that he would hide himself and that he would take shelter. There says the Lord himself, here's what he says, the Lord himself, he's the strength of my life. He's the one that gives me shelter. He keeps me alive. It's not the caves that I hide into. And he says, Lord, you are the refuge of my life. It's not a place, it's you. And you're the one that I flee to. 
You're my protection that's around me. Of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And I know that there are times when every one of us get afraid. Even the Apostle Paul would get afraid. In Acts chapter 18, Paul says in his second missionary trip that you know it would be during that second missionary trip, it would be very difficult times. He would come to Philippi and Satan would begin to attack and persecution would begin to break out and, and he and Silas would be thrown into prison and beaten and God, by a miraculous earthquake, freed them, but they had to leave town. So they hurry off to Thessalonica and there they begin to teach and God blesses and some were saved, but there were angry Jews who began a riot And they had to flee for their lives. So they go to a place called Berea. The noble Jews searched the scripture and they received Christ. But those angry Jews from Thessalonica followed them there and they created so much problem that, you know, Paul had to run again. So Paul goes to Athens. He's there by himself because he leaves Timothy and Silas and Berea. You know, Athens, that's that city of philosophy and all kinds of religion. All the intellectuals live there. And he's discouraged, but he still preaches to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he gives a masterful sermon on getting to know the unknown God. And at the end of it, it turns out that only a few are believed. And so he trudges alone down to Corinth. You know the Corinthian church? He would stay there a year and a half, but they would become the cruddy church, you know. He was always, you know, they were so carnal. And he was always having to say, stop doing this and don't do that and quit doing that. But he comes into the city and he's all alone and he's discouraged and he's disheartened and he's tired. And the Lord would say to him in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, he would say, Paul, Don't be afraid. Now, why did the Lord say to Paul, don't be afraid? Because he was afraid. He says, Paul, don't be afraid. I'm with you. No one is going to hurt you. And for you and me, know in times of trouble, when there are those who are against you, when we're tired, when we see the troubles of the world all around us, those times where we just feel like we're treading water, we're running for our lives, know this, that he is with you. He is with you. And in verse 2, David kind of looks in retrospect. He looks back to the past. That in, So in verse 3, he can look to the future and be assured of that. So in verse 2, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and they fell. And so, because of verse 1, because the Lord is my light, my salvation, my strength, he remembers that the Lord has been faithful in dealing with his enemies. That's the advantage of getting older. We can remember the faithfulness of God in so many instances. I know that I can, and I've talked to those of us, you know, with those who have lived longer lives that we've experienced a lot. We've seen the faithfulness faithfulness of God work in our lives. I've seen that in my own life, that he has protected me. He didn't take the trouble away all the time, most times, but he helped me get through it. 
And he was faithful. And he would, the Lord was strong on my behalf. I am so glad that some of the prayers that I prayed when I was younger, he didn't answer. And I always tell the young people, you know, I know, God knows what he's doing. You may not understand, but God always knows what he's doing. He's faithful. And we can say when the wicked came, they stumbled and fell. And he looks to the future and he says in verse 3, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. Though an army may encamp, encamp against me. Some versions say, the war should rise against me. And that's a verse that we see in our lives, don't we? We live through. Because the world we live in has really become a war out there, isn't it? It's a battle. And David says, though war may arise in me, I can be confident. In what? In this. That in verse 1, of what he said, you're my light, you're my salvation, you're the stronghold of my life. What kept him safe in verse 2? I can be confident. No matter what comes my way, I'm confident. You're there. Now for us, we can read this, can't we? And it reads really good. And it's easy for us to read. And it's easy to listen to. But these are things that we learned all through our Christian walk, our whole life, and these are things that we grow into. So what are you confident in? Can I give you a promise of comes from God that you can be confident in? Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, 6 he says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, I am convinced, I am sure, I am, am absolutely convinced that the one who began a work in you, who's that? It's God. God began a work, and that word began, it's a, it's a word that's not used a lot. It refers to salvation. God began a work in you when he saved you and he started a noble work, a good work. And he will perfect it and he will complete it. Paul's not saying, you know, um, you know, the Lord, he's our salvation and I just hope it all works out. Kind of a little nervous about that. He doesn't say that. He says what God begins, he completes and that's a promise for you, and that's a promise for me, and that allows all of us to move forward, no matter where we are in life, because we all have a race. The Lord wants us to move forward, and we can do that, because he promises to complete that work. And in verse 4, he says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. These are the things that I desire, David is saying here of the Lord. It's like he put these things on the top of the list. What things? To dwell. And if you're a note taker, you know, note these things. To dwell, to behold, to seek. Whenever times are certain, you know, 
What is it that you put on the top of your list? Do you desire him? Do you go after the, and let him teach you his way and wait patiently for him? You know, it's different than the unbelievers. And we know that unbelievers, what they'll do in times of trouble is they'll go after worldly things. I, I kind of call it the whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of mentality. And it's not necessarily Vegas, but wherever. The people will chase after the things of the world. They just simply want to forget. They go to the bars. They go to these things. And they, you know, that, that saying, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, isn't true. Because after all the carnal things that they chase after to forget, what ends up happening is, is they just end up, you know, back where they were. And the trouble hasn't gone away. He's asking the Lord here these things. You know, I, I've deci- this is what I desire of the Lord. You could read it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm asking the Lord, seeking these things. They're at the top of my deepest desires. And for you and me, as we run to him and we dwell with him and seek him, as we behold him, we experience the goodness and the greatness of God. And he makes us think about how wonderful it is to seek him, to behold him, to dwell in his presence. And this was very true in David's life. David was a man after God's own heart. Scripture, you know, David, because of sin, he committed adultery. David was not a good father. Uh, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he would have a, her husband died. But Scripture doesn't tell us that David is a man that was a lousy father. David, the man, the adulteress. He says, David, a man after my own heart, the Lord would say. David seeks to dwell in the house of the Lord. And when David writes this, you know, this... God's house is a tent. The temple hadn't been built yet. It hadn't been built by Solomon. And David wishes that he could live in the tabernacle itself, surrounded every day by the presence and beauty of God. David desired to behold the beauty of the Lord, the beauty that is in his nature, the presence of God, to fill his heart and his mind with the goodness and greatness of God. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the character of of God is attractive and fitted to inspire us to love with love for him and to make us as it were to run after him David wanted to inquire in this temple he wanted to know more of God and more of his ways we're going to see in verse 11 he says teach me your ways O Lord and in verse 5 he says as we move along for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Now, this isn't a promise to prevent all troubles, but David understands there was a special blessing and protection for the one who sought God. A God who gives security and blessing even in times of trouble. Because in those times, he hides us as in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. This is kind of, this is imagery um, 
is this imagery, this picture that we get is an Old Testament equivalent of abiding in Christ. In, in the days that David writes this, and we also see it in the days of Christ, and still back in, in the culture, even in that area today, the hospitality was very important. If you came into somebody's hospitality and to their place, you know, that was important for the person that was, uh, that was providing for you. You were a welcome guest. You know, it meant provision. It meant protection as you came into somebody's tent or house. And even the flimsiest of tents would become a fortress. And David understood that he is a welcome guest. He is welcome in the house of the Lord. And that he's cared for. And this is how the Lord entertains his guests. That we behold his beauty. The beauty of the Lord. And that word behold is different than what you see in the New Testament. In the New Testament, behold means consider this or think about that. And here it's used, the the word behold means to gaze upon. Lord, I, I come into your tent. I want to gaze upon your beauty is what David said. And that word beauty, it means friendliness. It means pleasantness. All that is fair and sweet to look upon. And when I get into your house, Lord, I want to gaze upon you and the wonder of your nature, your welcoming nature, your loving nature, your gracious nature, your friendliness, your sweetness. I get tired of looking at the wicked around in the, that is around me. I want to see your beauty. It's at the top of my list when I'm seeking. I want to get into your presence is what David is saying. It reminds me of that account in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is traveling along, and he enters a certain village, and, and he goes to the house of Martha. Martha and his sister Mary are there in her house. And, and Mary, she's one that we see in Luke chapter 10 as Jesus comes. Now, it probably wouldn't be just Jesus that would come into the house. Probably the disciples were there and stuff. And again, hospitality was very important. But here's Mary as she sits at the feet of Jesus. And we see that in Luke 10. And took in his word. And Martha, you know, it says in, in Luke 10 that she was distracted with much serving. In other words, she's stressed out, you know. You know, I can imagine Martha wanted everything just right. You know, the Lord is there. You know, I think some of you, we can all relate to that. We have somebody over for dinner, you know, good friends or relatives, somebody important. We want things to be just right. So I can just imagine, you know, Martha, here's Mary. She's not helping. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking in everything that he says, looking into his eyes and Martha, I can just imagine her coming out. She has flour on her apron. She has a roller pin in her hand. She's disturbed and anxious and stressed. And she kind of loses it. She kind of goes over the top, you know. And she says, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? It's like she was saying, are you going to just let my sister sit there while you talk about life-changing, transforming, glorious truths, fill her heart with joy and peace, 
and ignore the fact that the table isn't set and the bread is burning. And I can imagine the Lord as he, he responds to Martha. I could just see that calm voice and those eyes of love. He would say, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is really necessary, and Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here's Mary, and we find her in Luke 10, sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's as close as she can get. She's right alongside Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to every word that the Lord says. And the closer she can get, the better. Gazing into his eyes, demonstrating what is the attitude of a true believer really should be. Luke 6, 4, 7, Jesus said, Anyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them builds a house on a rock. So in verse 6, he says there that, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices to joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So... My head is going to be lifted up, David is saying, above my enemies who are everywhere. And then he kind of has, you know, David was kind of an emotional guy. And, and we see that here. He says, I'm going to offer sacrifices to joy. It literally means sacrifices of shouting. David wasn't afraid to show his feelings. You know, he would dance before the Lord with all his might. He shouted before the Lord. Here he says, I will sing. I will sing praises to the Lord. And you know what? I am so thankful for those who lead us into worship here at Calvary Chapel. I'm so thankful for Pastor Travis that works hard and, and gets worship ready, the talents and the gifts that those who, who do worship that they have. I really appreciate it because I don't have any of that stuff. As they lead us in the worship, as we can offer up our hearts of sacrifices of praise to the Lord. And that always prepares us to hear, you know, and prepares our heart to hear the word. And so this is a high point for David here. He says, I'm surrounded by my enemies. They're all around me. They hassle me at work today. The people I know try to discourage me. They come, you know, my extended family, they slander and gossip about me. And add to that, it seems like there's evildoers all around. And it seems like they're getting away with it. And it reminds me of Psalm 73, a psalm that Asaph wrote. He was a worship leader. And in Psalm 73, Asaph says, I looked around. I know that God is good. I know that. But what stumbled me was that I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I was envious. And when I did, he, that he says, my steps had nearly slipped. I almost went down. He says, it bothered me so much that good things happened to bad people. And bad things happened to good people. And it didn't seem fair. And it ate at me so much that I couldn't even talk about it. To God's people because I knew I would stumble them and it was eating me alive until until that's where the psalm turns 
until I went to the house of the Lord, until I brought it all back to perspective in the, you know, in perspective of eternity. And I remembered therein. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it, gang? That's what David says, I'm going to come into the house of the Lord. And I'm going to lift up my voice. And I'm going to sing praises to the Lord because he's my strength. He keeps me. He's my light. He assures me. He's my salvation. You see the intimacy in here. And I know one day he's going to bring me to a place when he calls me home or raptures me. And I'm going to be able to look at his face. Pastor Jeff said last Sunday, you know what? For unbelievers, this is the best that it gets. As we put things in perspective, they're not going to get away with it, those who are doing evil. And we get to go to heaven. In verse 7, it says there, that hear, O Lord, when I cry my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. And so we see here, the King James says, you know, have grace also upon me. So what David wants to do here, he wants to approach the Lord through grace, which is a great picture here. And in verses 8 through 10, he says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And so here we see that he's saying, Lord, you put this impression on my heart. You put it there. I need to seek your face. And what does it mean to seek the Lord? It's a heart issue. And Jeremy and Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God doesn't play Marco Polo with us. You know, when we were kids in the pool, we'd swim a lot back in eastern Kansas. It's hot, humid, and we would swim a lot, and we'd play Marco Polo. One person would say Marco, and the rest would be Polo, and you had to have your eyes closed and try to find him. That's not the Lord. He's there. He doesn't play Marco Polo. He's saying, here, Lord, you put this impression on my heart. I need to seek your face. Don't hide your face from me. I cry out to you. You know, have grace upon me. That's how I want to relate to you. I want to relate to you through a relationship, not through legalism, not through legalism. You know, Paul, you know, would talk about, you know, uh, enemies that, that deny Christ or deny the, you know, who deny the work of the cross. You know, a, a false teacher, somebody in wolf's sheep that comes along and says, well, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yes to the cross, they'll say, but you still need to be circumcised. That's what the Judaizers did. Or you still need to be baptized. Or you better toe the line. You need to join our church. That's the only way you can get into heaven. But, but, but. Paul would say those are enemies of the cross. I call them veil menders. And you say, what is that? Well, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he gave up his spirit, it says in the temple, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, that veil, some say it was 60 feet tall, was torn in half 
from top to bottom. It was a supernatural event. And it laid open the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, where only the high priest could go in once a year to atone for the sins of the nation. And that was laid open. And what that said is now everyone has access, access to the presence of God himself because at any time, no need for anything between you and God. And all that has been removed, that, that barrier, by the blood of Jesus Christ. It opened the way for everybody to come to God through Jesus Christ. But legalists, they're veil menders. And they want to sew that veil back up. They want to sew it back up again so you need them. And you have to go through them. That they understand you more than you do. Look, if you want to talk to God, you come through Jesus Christ and the work of the cross. And it's a direct call now. He doesn't look at those who are calling and say, I'm not going to answer. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. When we call upon him, when we want to come to repent, pour out our hearts, he's a God that answers immediately. And so he put it on my heart to seek you, verse 8. Verse 9, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You're my help. Don't leave me or forsake me. And all this stems from verse 1. And here, God, you're my salvation. The Lord said, Joshua, in chapter 1, he said to Joshua, when the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land, he tells them, I will not leave you nor forsake you. The book of Hebrews says that for he himself, being Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in those times when we feel like he doesn't hear us, and in those times where we might feel that he, you know, he's kind of turned our back on us, that we've had a bad day. Those days where I would have a bad day and come home and yell at the wife and the kids and I'd kick the dog and I'd lay in bed and think, boy, am I really saved? Yeah, because God's word said I was. That he's there. He's not slack concerning his promise. And his word doesn't fail us. Even in times when we feel like He's not there. The Bible is true. And scripture says that neither death nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, for those who are in Christ. Verse 10, he says, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You know, even in those close relationships, you know, when they seem daunting, the Lord will take care of you. And David probably didn't expect his parents to forsake him, but it brings him comfort to know that even if they did, that God wouldn't forsake him. And I know that all of us, maybe that we've had a relationship in our lives, somebody who's very close that's been severed, and it hurts. And sometimes you might feel forsaken by somebody who's close to you. God is faithful, and he will be there, and he will care for you. In verse 11, he goes on as we finish this up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me to a smooth path because of my enemy. Lead me literally to a path of level ground. Teach me your way, O Lord, 
And look what he anticipates, what he's expecting from the Lord. He's saying, what is the Lord's way for your life? Well, it's not heavy. It's not torturous. He says, teach me your way. Jesus would look out to the, the crowds with compassion, and he would say, come to me, all of you who labor on heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Being part of being taught by the Lord is being led to a place of level ground. He doesn't want heavy burdens that come from your enemies. Verse 12, he says, Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Don't deliver me, David says, to my, the will of my enemies. David, and us who are born again, remember, we're submitted to another will, Jesus Christ. Have you ever had experience with somebody who comes and says false things about you? And when you, you think about it, it's like they breathe out violence and cruelty, you know, through their lying and gossip. And you know that kind of stuff? That can hurt. And that can hurt as much as this, a sword when somebody says something cruel to you. And it can stay with you for a long time. How many of us can remember things that were said bad and cruel about us from years ago, some of us decades ago? Those things stay in our head. And David's saying, Lord, I don't want to be delivered to their will, my adversary's will. I want your will. They lie about me and they breathe out violence and cruelty. And he says in verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. All this stuff from my enemies, from a crazy and dark world, hurtful things, cruelty, all those that were against me, even from some of those who might have been close to, all those wrongs that the world dishes out to me, I would have lost, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. Unless I would have seen the goodness of the Lord and the land and the living. David knew God would show his goodness in his life. And he wants to do that as well for us. And as we finish up again, he ends with this. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I said, on the Lord. Underline that verse. You know, we live in a culture that doesn't like to wait anymore. Everything's instant this and instant that. I remember I was in a, a couple months ago in a checkout line and a place that had no self-checkout. And, and there's somebody in front of me and they had to write a check and they had to, you know, I thought, who writes checks anymore? But they did that. It took forever. You know, probably didn't, but it seemed like it. I mean, I think we all, in some ways, we lose our patience. We have to wait for, you know, the drive-through, and we can lose patience. He says, Lord says, wait. Wait on me, and he's going to strengthen your heart. And, and, and to wait on the Lord, it's not a passive waiting. And he, he, the things that he brings to us, as we take the time to wait on him and seek him, he brings to us strength. 
And that's the thing. There are some times where we just are in a situation we don't know what to do. We just need to wait on the Lord. And it's always better to do that as, as we go and seek him and wait on him and spend time with him and lift things up before him that he's going to give us strength, that he's going to give us wisdom. So when it is time to do something, we have spent time with the Lord. So waiting on the Lord, I know it's, you know, it, sometimes it can seem hard and sometimes it can seem I've got to do something, but this allows the Lord to work on your behalf. Because a lot of times there are things that I just can't do or fix and I end up messing them up if I don't wait on the Lord to hear from him, to get wisdom from him, to draw strength from him. And so there are times in our lives where we wait on the Lord. We, we be of good courage. And he says that he's going to strengthen your heart through it. So he repeats it again. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Seeking the Lord, coming into his presence. That's a life that I desire for all of us. That's my prayer for you and me. That in times of troubles, in times where it's not so bad, whatever the case, that we would seek his face that we would be like Mary and sit at his feet, that we would wait on the Lord, that we would behold his beauty, that we would want to go into his presence and hide into his, to his pavilion in the secret places. And that would drive us to Christ, that intimate, special relationship that we have with him. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for these truths. We thank you, Lord, that you desire for us to know you more and more, that you desire a relationship with us. And Jesus didn't come down to earth just to make bad people good. That does happen. He came down to earth to take people that are dead spiritually and make them alive again. Lord, that you do that work. And Father, I just pray if there's anybody that's struggling out there and there's anybody in a situation that they're not quite sure to do, that they would be ones that would wait on the Lord to seek Him. And in times of trouble, in a time of a world and darkness that we are around, Lord, that you desire to bless as we come to you. You desire to lift us up. You desire to be that light and to be that strength in our lives. And I'm just so thankful, Lord, that you really do care what comes to us in our lives, that you are a God who does care, and you are a God that brings comfort. So, Lord, may we seek you. May we be ones that behold your beauty and sit at your feet. Father, I just pray if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, that they would know that they can come to the cross of Jesus Christ, that you died for their sin. And as you're one that come and confesses and says, Lord, I have sinned against you, and I come, and I lay my sins at your feet, and I want to be born again. I want to be born of the Spirit. I want to come to you. I want to give you my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And, and as you pray that knowing that you will be changed. You will be a new creation. 
Lord, that we're not like the wicked with no hope, that this is the best it gets, that we get heaven, and we know that you are coming back soon. So, Lord, lift our head above the clouds. I pray that whatever need anybody needs, whether it's financial or physical or spiritual, Lord, that you would touch us. So continue to bless us, Lord. Bless Calvary Chapel, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Have a good rest of the week. Hopefully we'll see you on Sunday.